Section 14 of the Argonautica. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Cynthia Moyer. The Argonautica by Apollonius Rhodius. Translated by R. C. Seaton. Section 14. Book 4. Part 1. Now do thou thyself, goddess muse, daughter of Zeus, tell of the labor and wiles of the Colchian maiden. Surely my soul within me wavers with speechless amazement as I ponder whether I should call it the lovesick grief of mad passion or a panic flight through which she left the Colchian folk. Aetis all night long with the bravest captains of his people was devising in his halls sheer treachery against the heroes, with fierce wrath in his heart at the issue of the hateful contest nor did he deem at all that these things were being accomplished without the knowledge of his daughters. But into Medea's heart Hera cast most grievous fear, and she trembled like a nimble fawn whom the baying of hounds hath terrified amid the thicket of a deep copse. For at once she truly foreboded that the aid she had given was not hidden from her father, and that quickly she would fill up the cup of woe. And she dreaded the guilty knowledge of her handmaids. Her eyes were filled with fire, and her ears rung with a terrible cry. Often did she clutch at her throat, and often did she drag out her hair by the roots, and groan in wretched despair. There, on that very day, the maiden would have tasted the drugs and perished, and so have made void the purposes of Hera, had not the goddess driven her, all bewildered, to flee with the sons of Phrixus. And her fluttering soul within her was comforted, and then she poured from her bosom all the drugs back again into the casket. Then she kissed her bed and the folding doors on both sides, and stroked the walls, and tearing away in her hands a long tress of hair, she left it in the chamber for her mother, a memorial of her maidenhood, and thus lamented with passionate voice, I go, leaving this long tress here in my stead, O mother mine. Take this farewell from me as I go far hence. Farewell, Calciope, and all my home. Would that the sea, stranger, had dashed thee to pieces, ere thou camest to the Colchian land. Thus she spake, and from her eyes shed copious tears. And as a bondmaid steals away from a wealthy house whom fate has lately severed from her native land, nor yet has she made trial of grievous toil, but still unschooled to misery 
and shrinking in terror from slavish tasks, goes about beneath the cruel hands of a mistress. Even so the lovely maiden rushed forth from her home. But to her the bolts of the doors gave way, self-moved, leaping backwards at the swift strains of her magic song. And with bare feet she sped along the narrow paths, with her left hand holding her robe over her brow to veil her face and fair cheeks, and with her right lifting up the hem of her tunic. Quickly along the dark track outside the towers of the spacious city did she come in fear, nor did any of the warders note her, but she sped on unseen by them. Thence she was minded to go to the temple, for well she knew the way, having often aforetime wandered there in quest of corpses and noxious roots of the earth, as a sorceress is wont to do, and her soul fluttered with quivering fear. And the Titanian goddess, the moon, rising from a far land, beheld her as she fled distraught, and fiercely exulted over her, and thus spake to her own heart. Not I alone, then, stray to the Latinian cave, nor do I alone burn with love for fair Endymion. Oft times with thoughts of love have I been driven away by thy crafty spells, in order that in the darkness of night thou mightest work thy sorcery at ease, even the deeds dear to thee. And now thou thyself, too, hast part in a like mad passion, and some god of affection has given thee Jason to be thy grievous woe. Well, go on, and steal thy heart, wise though thou be, to take up thy burden of pain, fraught with many sighs. Thus spake the goddess, but swiftly the maiden's feet bore her, hasting on, and gladly did she gain the high bank of the river, and beheld on the opposite side the gleam of fire, which all night long the heroes were kindling in joy at the contest's issue. Then through the gloom, with clear pealing voice from across the stream, she called on Frontis, the youngest of Phrixus's sons, and he with his brothers and Aeson's son recognized the maiden's voice, and in silence his comrades wondered when they knew that it was so in truth. Thrice she called, and thrice at the bidding of the company Frontis called out in reply, and meantime the heroes were rowing with swift-moving oars in search of her. Not yet were they casting the ship's hawsers upon the opposite bank, when Jason with light feet leapt to land from the deck above, and after him Frontis and Argus, sons of Phrixus, leapt to the ground, and she, clasping their knees with both hands, thus addressed them. Save me, the hapless one, my friends, from Aetis, and yourselves too, 
for all is brought to light nor doth any remedy come but let us flee upon the ship before the king mounts his swift chariot and i will lull to sleep the guardian serpent and give you the fleece of gold but do thou stranger amid thy comrades make the gods witness of the vows thou hast taken on thyself for my sake and now that i have fled far from my country make me not a mark for blame and dishonour for want of kinsmen she spake in anguish but greatly did the heart of aeson's son rejoice and at once as she fell at his knees he raised her gently and embraced her and spake words of comfort lady let zeus of olympus himself be witness to my oath and hera queen of marriage bride of zeus that i will set thee in my halls my own wedded wife when we have reached the land of hellas on our return thus he spake and straightway clasped her right hand in his and she bade them row the swift ship to the sacred grove near at hand in order that while it was still night they might seize and carry off the fleece against the will of aeetes word and deed were one to the eager crew for they took her on board and straightway thrust the ship from shore and loud was the din as the chieftains strained at their oars but she starting back held out her hands in despair towards the shore but jason spoke cheering words and restrained her grief now at the hour when men have cast sleep from their eyes huntsmen who trusting to their hounds never slumber away the end of night but avoid the light of dawn lest smiting with its white beams it efface the track and scent of the quarry then did aeson's son and the maiden step forth from the ship over a grassy spot the ram's couch as men call it where it first bent its wearied knees in rest bearing on its back the menian son of athamas and close by all smirched with soot was the base of the altar which the aeolid phrixus once set up to zeus the alder of fugitives when he sacrificed the golden wonder at the bidding of hermes who graciously met him on the way there by the counsels of argus the chieftains put them ashore and they too by the pathway came to the sacred grove seeking the huge oak tree on which was hung the fleece like to a cloud that blushes red with the fiery beams of the rising sun but right in front the serpent with his keen sleepless eyes saw them coming and stretched out his long neck and hissed in awful wise and all round the long banks of the river echoed and the boundless grove those heard it who dwelt in the colchian land very far from titanian aea near the outfall of lycus 
the river which parts from loud roaring araxes and blends his sacred stream with phasis and they twain flow on together in one and pour their waters into the caucasian sea and through fear young mothers awoke and round their newborn babes who were sleeping in their arms threw their hands in agony for the small limbs started at that hiss and as when above a pile of smouldering wood countless eddies of smoke roll up mingled with soot and one ever springs up quickly after another rising aloft from beneath in wavering wreaths so at that time did that monster roll his countless coils covered with hard dry scales and as he writhed the maiden came before his eyes with sweet voice calling to her aid sleep highest of gods to charm the monster and she cried to the queen of the underworld the night wanderer to be propitious to her enterprise and aeson's son followed in fear but the serpent already charmed by her song was relaxing the long ridge of his giant spine and lengthening out his myriad coils like a dark wave dumb and noiseless rolling over a sluggish sea but still he raised aloft his grisly head eager to enclose them both in his murderous jaws but she with a newly cut spray of juniper dipping and drawing untempered charms from her mystic brew sprinkled his eyes while she chanted her song and all around the potent scent of the charm cast sleep and on the very spot he let his jaw sink down and far behind through the wood with its many trees were those countless coils stretched out hereupon jason snatched the golden fleece from the oak at the maiden bidding and she standing firm smeared with the charm the monster's head till jason himself bade her turn back towards their ship and she left the grove of ares dusky with shade and as a maiden catches on her finely wrought robe the gleam of the moon at the full as it rises above her high-roofed chamber and her heart rejoices as she beholds the fair ray so at that time did jason uplift the mighty fleece in his hands and from the shimmering of the flocks of wool there settled on his fair cheeks and brow a red flush like a flame and great as is the hide of a yearling ox or stag which huntsmen call a brocket so great in extent was the fleece all golden above heavy it was thickly clustered with flocks and as he moved along even beneath his feet the sheen rose up from the earth and he strode on now with the fleece covering his left shoulder from the height of his neck to his feet and now again he gathered it up in his hands for he feared exceedingly 
lest some god or man should meet him and deprive him thereof dawn was spreading over the earth when they reached the throng of heroes and the youths marvelled to behold the mighty fleece which gleamed like the lightning of zeus and each one started up eager to touch it and clasp it in his hands but the son of aeson restrained them all and threw over it a mantle newly woven and he led the maiden to the stern and seated her there and spake to them all as follows no longer now my friends forbear to return to your fatherland for now the task for which we dared this grievous voyage toiling with bitter sorrow of heart has been lightly fulfilled by the maiden's counsels her for such is her will i will bring home to be my wedded wife do ye preserve her the glorious saviour of all achaea and of yourselves for of a surety i ween will aetes come with his host to bar our passage from the river into the sea but do some of you toil at the oars in turn sitting man by man and half of you raise your shields of oxhide a ready defence against the darts of the enemy and guard our return and now in our hands we hold the fate of our children and dear country and of our aged parents and on our venture all hellas depends to reap either the shame of failure or great renown thus he spake and donned his armour of war and they cried aloud wondrously eager and he drew his sword from the sheath and cut the hawsers at the stern and near the maiden he took his stand ready armed by the steersman anaeus and with their rowing the ship sped on as they strained desperately to drive her clear of the river by this time medea's love and deeds had become known to haughty aeetes and to all the colchians and they thronged to the assembly in arms and countless as the waves of the stormy sea when they rise crested by the wind or as the leaves that fall to the ground from the wood with its myriad branches in the month when the leaves fall who could reckon their tale so they in countless number poured along the banks of the river shouting in frenzy and in his shapely chariot aeetes shone forth above all with his steeds the gift of helios swift as the blasts of the wind in his left hand he raised his curved shield and in his right a huge pine torch and near him in front stood up his mighty spear and apsyrtus held in his hands the reins of the steeds but already the ship was cleaving the sea before her urged on by stalwart oarsmen and the stream of the mighty river rushing down but the king 
in grievous anguish lifted his hands and called on helios and zeus to bear witness to their evil deeds and terrible threats he uttered against all his people that unless they should with their own hands seize the maiden either on the land or still finding the ship on the swell of the open sea and bring her back that so he might satisfy his eager soul with vengeance for all those deeds at the cost of their own lives they should learn and abide all his rage and revenge thus spake aeetes and on that same day the colchians launched their ships and cast the tackle on board and on that same day sailed forth on the sea thou wouldst not say so mighty a host was a fleet of ships but that a countless flight of birds swarm on swarm was clamouring over the sea swiftly the wind blew as the goddess hera planned so that most quickly aeaean medea might reach the pelasgian land a bane to the house of peleus and on the third morn they bound the ship's stern cables to the shores of the paphlagonians at the mouth of the river halys for medea bade them land and propitiate hecate with sacrifice now all that the maiden prepared for offering the sacrifice may no man know and may my soul not urge me to sing thereof awe restrains my lips yet from that time the altar which the heroes raised on the beach to the goddess remains till now a sight to men of a later day and straightway aeson's son and the rest of the heroes bethought them of phineus how that he had said that their course from aea should be different but to all alike his meaning was dim then argus spake and they eagerly hearkened we go to orchomenus whither that unerring seer whom ye met aforetime foretold your voyage for there is another course signified by those priests of the immortal gods who have sprung from tritonian thebes as yet all the stars that wheel in the heaven were not nor yet the one should inquire could aught be heard of the sacred race of the danai apidanean arcadians alone existed arcadians who lived even before the moon it is said eating acorns on the hills nor at that time was the pelasgian land ruled by the glorious sons of deucalion in the days when egypt mother of men of an older time was called the fertile morning land and the river fair flowing triton by which all the morning land is watered and never does the rain from zeus moisten the earth but from the flooding of the river abundant crops spring up from this land it is said a king made his way all round through the whole of europe and asia trusting in the might and strength and courage 
of his people and countless cities did he found wherever he came whereof some are still inhabited and some not many an age hath passed since then but aea abides unshaken even now and the sons of those men whom that king settled to dwell in aea they preserve the writings of their fathers graven on pillars whereon are marked all the ways and the limits of sea and land as ye journey on all sides round there is a river the uttermost horn of ocean broad and exceeding deep that a merchant ship may traverse they call it ister and have marked it far off and for a while it cleaves the boundless tilth alone in one stream for beyond the blasts of the north wind far off in the ripaean mountains its springs burst forth with a roar but when it enters the boundaries of the thracians and scythians here dividing its stream into two it sends its waters partly into the ionian sea and partly to the south into a deep gulf that bends upwards from the trinarian sea that sea which lies along your land if indeed Achelaos flows forth from your land. Thus he spake, and to them the goddess granted a happy portent, and all at the sight shouted approval that this was their appointed path. For before them appeared a trail of heavenly light, a sign where they might pass and gladly they left behind there the son of laeus and with canvas outspread sailed over the sea with their eyes on the paphlagonian mountains but they did not round carambis for the winds and the gleam of the heavenly fire stayed with them till they reached ister's mighty stream now some of the colchians in a vain search passed out from pontus through the cyanean rocks but the rest went to the river and them apsyrtus led and turning aside he entered the mouth called fair wherefore he outstripped the heroes by crossing a neck of land into the furthest gulf of the ionian sea for a certain island is enclosed by ister by name Pioe, three-cornered, its base stretching along the coast, and with a sharp angle towards the river, and round it the outfall is cleft in two. One mouth they call the mouth of Narex, and the other, at the lower end, the fair mouth. And through this Apsyrtus and his Colchians rushed with all speed, but the heroes went upwards far away towards the highest part of the island and in the meadows the country shepherds left their countless flocks for dread of the ships for they deemed that they were beasts coming forth from the monster teeming sea for never yet before had they seen seafaring ships 
neither the Scythians mingled with the Thracians, nor the Sigini, nor yet the Graucenii, nor the Sindi that now inhabit the vast desert plain of Laurium. But when they had passed near the Mount Angurum and the cliff of Cauliacus, far from the Mount Angurum, round which Ister, dividing his stream, falls into the sea on this side and on that, and the Laurian plain, then indeed the Colchians went forth into the Cronian sea and cut off all the ways to prevent their foes' escape. And the heroes came down the river behind and reached the two Brygian isles of Artemis near at hand. Now in one of them was a sacred temple, and on the other they landed, avoiding the host of Apsyrtus. For the Colchians had left these islands out of many within the river, just as they were, through reverence for the daughter of Zeus. But the rest, thronged by the Colchians, barred the ways to the sea. And so, on other islands too, close by, Apsyrtus left his host as far as the river Salangon and the Nestian land. There the Menuai would at that time have yielded in grim fight a few too many, but ere then they made a covenant, shunning a dire quarrel. As to the golden fleece, that since Aetis himself had so promised them if they should fulfill the contests, they should keep it as justly won, whether they carried it off by craft or even openly in the king's despite. But as to Medea, for that was the cause of strife, that they should give her in ward to Leto's daughter apart from the throng, until some one of the kings that dispense justice should utter his doom, whether she must return to her father's home or follow the chieftains to the land of Hellas. Now when the maiden had mused upon all this, sharp anguish shook her heart unceasingly, and quickly she called forth Jason alone, apart from his comrades, and led him aside until they were far away, and before his face uttered her speech all broken with sobs. What is this purpose that ye are now devising about me, O son of Aeson? Has thy triumph utterly cast forgetfulness upon thee, and reekest thou nothing of all that thou spakest when held fast by necessity? Whither are fled the oaths by Zeus, the suppliant's god, whither are fled thy honeyed promises? For which in no seemly wise, with shameless will, I have left my country, the glories of my home, and even my parents, things that were dearest to me. And far away, all alone, I am borne over the sea with the plaintive kingfishers, because of thy trouble, in order that I might save thy life in fulfilling the contests with the oxen and the earth-born men. Last of all the fleece, 
when the matter became known it was by my folly thou didst win it and a foul reproach have i poured on womankind wherefore i say that as thy child thy bride and thy sister i follow thee to the land of hellas be ready to stand by me to the end abandon me not left forlorn of thee when thou dost visit the kings but only save me let justice and right to which we have both agreed stand firm or else do thou at once shear through this neck with the sword that i may gain the guerdon due to my mad passion poor wretch if the king to whom you both commit your cruel covenant doom me to belong to my brother how shall i come to my father's sight will it be with a good name what revenge what heavy calamity shall i not endure in agony for the terrible deeds i have done and wilt thou win the return that thy heart desires never may zeus's bride the queen of all in whom thou dost glory bring that to pass mayst thou some time remember me when thou art racked with anguish may the fleece like a dream vanish into the nether darkness on the wings of the wind and may my avenging furies forthwith drive thee from thy country for all that i have suffered through thy cruelty these curses will not be allowed to fall unaccomplished to the ground a mighty oath hast thou transgressed ruthless one but not long shalt thou and thy comrades sit at ease casting eyes of mockery upon me for all your covenants thus she spake seething with fierce wrath and she longed to set fire to the ship and to hew it utterly in pieces and herself to fall into the raging flame but jason half afraid thus addressed her with gentle words forbear lady me too this pleases not but we seek some respite from battle for such a cloud of hostile men like to a fire surrounds us on thy account for all that inhabit this land are eager to aid apsyrtus that they may lead thee back home to thy father like some captured maid and all of us would perish in hateful destruction if we closed with them in fight and bitterer still will be the pain if we are slain and leave thee to be their prey but this covenant will weave a web of guile to lead him to ruin nor will the people of the land for thy sake oppose us to favour the colchians when their prince is no longer with them who is thy champion and thy brother nor will i shrink from matching myself in fight with the colchians if they bar my way homeward thus he spake soothing her and she uttered a deadly speech take heed now for when sorry deeds are done 
we must needs devise sorry counsel since at first i was distraught by my error and by heaven's will it was i wrought the accomplishment of evil desires do thou in the turmoil shield me from the colchian spears and i will beguile apsyrtus to come into thy hands do thou greet him with splendid gifts if only i could persuade the heralds on their departure to bring him alone to hearken to my words thereupon if this deed pleases thee slay him and raise a conflict with the colchians i care not so they two agreed and prepared a great web of guile for apsyrtus and provided many gifts such as are due to guests and among them gave a sacred robe of hypsipyle of crimson hue the graces with their own hands had wrought it for dionysus in sea-girt die and he gave it to his son thoas thereafter and thoas left it to hypsipyle and she gave that fair-wrought guest-gift with many another marvel to aeson's son to wear never couldst thou satisfy thy sweet desire by touching it or gazing on it and from it a divine fragrance breathed from the time when the king of nisa himself lay to rest thereon flushed with wine and nectar as he clasped the beauteous breast of the maiden daughter of minos whom once theseus forsook in the island of dia when she had followed him from knossos and when she had worked upon the heralds to induce her brother to come as soon as she reached the temple of the goddess according to the agreement and the darkness of night surrounded them that so she might devise with him a cunning plan for her to take the mighty fleece of gold and return to the home of aeetes for she said the sons of phrixus had given her by force to the strangers to carry off with such beguiling words she scattered to the air and the breezes her witching charms which even from afar would have drawn down the savage beast from the steep mountain height ruthless love great bane great curse to mankind from thee come deadly strifes and lamentations and groans and countless pains as well have their stormy birth from thee arise thou god and arm thyself against the sons of our foes in such guise as when thou didst fill medea's heart with accursed madness how then by evil doom did she slay apsyrtus when he came to meet her for that must our song tell next end of section fourteen